Hi everyone, welcome back for another podcast, another episode of EGOs. I have a very special guest today. Her name is Dawn Mikshinsky, and she is a geoscientist with Stratum Reservoir. She is also a certified landman, and she is an aspiring wildcatter. How are you doing, Dawn? Thank you, Rochelle. Appreciate having me on today. It's been an honor to know you as a friend and a colleague, and thank you for inviting me on. Of course. Yeah, likewise. So I think we originally met um, at an AAPG, AWG uh, meeting in... El Paso, Texas. I think you came all the way to El Paso. That was a great meeting. <laughs> you know, I was introduced to you through Denise Cox, who yes. is absolutely one of my biggest inspirations in the industry. Yes, absolutely. I think it was like 2018. It, I, it was mid-PhD for me. But yeah, I, I remember. I have very fond memories of, of our time at the AAPG regional meeting. That was a good time. <laughs> it was. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And to get started, would you uh, share our audience a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up, and if there is something that influenced you a lot while you were growing up? Absolutely. You know, it's funny. That's a great question. Where you're from? I always wonder, is that does that mean where you were born or is that where you've lived the longest or is it the most exotic place you can tell people (laughs) (laughs) any and all of the above it can be any anything you like (laughs) I I generally tell people I'm from Utah Uh I I grew up in Draper Utah I'm the oldest uh, seven six younger brothers all of them which I'm still very close to very deep Utah roots Mm -hmm. Genealogy wise, I was never into geology until, or genealogy until I got into uh, landman work. And going back and seeing some of the bloodline of our family, I'm a bloodline member of the daughters of the Utah pioneers. And That's my cool. great, great, great grandfather is Jacob Hamblin, who was a Western pioneer, a Mormon missionary and a polygamist. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. I'm from wife number one. Uh, so he, <laughs> <laughs> she actually stayed in Ohio and uh, did not join the Mormon church. Uh-huh. She lived out the rest of her life there. But he took the kids and went on to settle Utah, Nevada. Uh, he was a diplomat mm-hmm. to various Native American tribes in the Southwest and Great Basin. Jacob Am- Hamblin, he aided the European-American settlement mm-hmm. of really large areas in southern Utah and northern Arizona. And if you Google him, they call him an honest broker between the Mormon settlers and the natives. And he was kind of a cool story about him real quick. He actually was one of the first people to learn the native American Indian tongue. He left his compound in St. George, walked into the Indian nation and lived there for quite some time with them Mm -hmm. and learned their language. And that's how he was able to establish the first trade between settlers and the native Americans. That's amazing. That's actually, I think a really great story. So because he was an honest good wholehearted person trying to do the right thing that really led to his success it sounds like yeah yeah the indians would test him sometimes <laughs> they, they would send his there's a story where he sent his son in to make a trade with them and the son came back with lots of blankets and said dad look i only had to trade one horse for this <laughs> <laughs> and, and jacob hamlin sent him back to return all the extra blankets and the indians were waiting for him and laughing saying we, we knew jacob would send you back <laughs> 
Dude, that's that's really funny. That <laughs> that's a great story. So, is there something from your family history that's inspired you to maybe what you're doing today, or something you'd like to do in the future? You know, that's great. I when I was growing up, it's interesting. Later, when I got into geology, which is kind of a little bit later than I think some people do, uh, I spent a lot of time in Utah hiking. I mean, out, out of my backyard, mm-hmm. just boom, right there lived at the bottom of the mountains. At age 16, me and my friend Lucy got helicopter rescued. Oh my goodness. Behind our house, yeah. <laughs> it was just normal for us to just put, you know, put gas in our car and next thing you know, we're in slot canyons or just in some really beautiful wilderness. So the field camp is a every weekend when you're a geologist in Utah. Mm-hmm. There was no big trip you needed to make. And growing up, I was actually able to go through Capitol Reef and see the signatures of my grandfather on the walls. Oh my gosh. Where he had, had gone through and mapped um, all, all these canyon lands down there in his time. And to this day, you can still go and visit his compound and, and see the houses he had preserved. I just felt a strong connection my entire life to the desert mm-hmm. and being in the same footsteps as my family, imagining what it must have looked like for them as they crested over each peak or each plateau to see the majestic beauty of Utah. Mm-hmm. It always felt like home. Well, that's amazing. It's very poetic. I just love it. So you would say that he, your grandfather, was really your inspiration to pursue geology um, later in your career. Sort of. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's funny, as a kid, I had it all figured out. Um, I was going to be an, an astronaut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I to, think you'd be uh, a great astronaut. <laughs> I was going to space. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all stars on my wall and constellation hanging planets hanging off the ceiling um i don't think i had any idea what i would do in space Mm -hmm. i I just knew with all my heart i was going to be up there and i wanted to see the planets yeah and then somewhere between fifth and twelfth grade i lost that i i uh became completely consumed with ski racing Mm -hmm. but one of the reasons i also turned away from becoming an astronaut was i I did learn i was claustrophobic (laughs) yeah that probably won't work so well <laughs> and with ski racing, I it became my entire life. I graduated high school a year early, just became obsessed with the mountains. By the time I was 17 years old, I was competing around the world in skier cross, slope style, mm-hmm. extreme skiing, and jumping off cliffs for ski movies, X Games. And then in the summer, I was working as a wildland firefighter. Okay. And I had completely forgotten about being an astronaut <laughs> and I I didn't have any desire to go to college either okay I just all I wanted to do was be the first woman to ski Mount Kilimanjaro yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was fully focused on that well that's an be, admirable goal that's amazing <laughs> I wanted to be the first woman to do a 720 over a tabletop and I wanted to become a smoke jumper firefighter mm-hmm. and life the best laid plans never seem to work out sometimes it has a way of surprising you. It does. Yeah, it truly uh, does. So where did you end up going to school for your, when you started geology? Well, I, the reason I decided to go to school was because mm-hmm. I, I got, I actually, I, I died. I got killed in an accident mm-hmm. on the way to a fire. We oh were, my gosh. Uh, back before it became the uh, Unified Fire Department, it was Salt Lake County Wildland Fire Department. We were on our way to a fire in Salmon, Idaho. And... We're supposed to be wearing seatbelts, and we're in a, a big truck that looks a lot like the inside of an airplane mm-hmm. with overhead compartments, and two of us were not wearing our seatbelts. Three of us, three of us were not wearing our seatbelts. 
And my friend sitting next to me across the way said, hey, I got a, I just got a weird feeling right now. Just something's not right. And I said, yeah. And uh, he looked over and he clicked his seatbelt. Within five minutes, we, the driver rolled into a ditch at 80 miles an hour and flipped this huge crew carrier. Oh my gosh. Had I wore my seatbelt, I probably would have walked away from it. But uh -huh. instead, I was, I was thrown into the overhead compartments and broke a rib, which punctured a lung and I, and also ruptured my spleen. So I drowned. I drowned in my own blood in that accident. Oh my they gosh. Were, when the plane, the plane came to take me to Missoula, Montana, uh -huh. and they were able to revive me back to life. And um, at that point, I, I really realized different priorities. Mm -hmm. I wanted, I did, I, I did want to go to college. Yeah. <laughs> I realized there was something outside of jumping off cliffs and, and being a firefighter and all this, this exciting physical lifestyle. I wanted to, I realized I really wanted to live a long life. Mm -hmm. that that had meaning to it yeah um so i was pretty pretty poor at that time i did all my undergraduate graduate programs on student loans which mm -hmm. i'm still paying for <laughs> oh yeah you and i think a lot of other people yep <laughs> but to answer your question i did my undergraduate at uvu in orem utah where i double majored in technology management and earth studies okay with a heavy emphasis in geology to sure. years of geology yeah and after that i was matriculated into the university of utah's master program in geological engineering okay I didn't finish that but i did um, so i took a job with slumberger okay for analysis yeah and then cool. eventually graduated with my mba mm-hmm and you do you finish your MBA not too long ago, correct? About two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. Congratulations, that's that's amazing. Uh, cool. You so, know what's really interesting is I think the real pivot moment though that came from me being a, a firefighter into geology was an AAPG event. Just really? Like, I can't begin to describe how life changing these these conferences can be for people. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had taken my first geology class where I had actually learned for the first time that the world was not created in seven days. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo -hoo>! <laughs> <laughs> I think I was like 22 at that time. Yeah. And, you know, we're on plates and they're moving and convergences and what? <laughs> it, it was, it was, I, I was blown away by it. Yeah. And, I, and so I volunteered at the Rocky Mountain section for the AAPG up there at Snowbird. And I'm, what changed my life was at the same time I, had, I was working the ambulance full-time and going to school. And in the emergency room, I would see women in their 40s and 50s, and they were exhausted. Yeah. They were, these, these nurses and these doctors, they were jaded. Yeah. Um, they could become kind of rough and jaded over the years of, of selfless sacrifice working in these emergency rooms, but they, they didn't seem happy and they, they seemed overworked and underpaid for their efforts. And I realized that was my story. That yeah. if I kept working on the ambulance, if I kept in the fire and EMS world, that is who I would inevitably become. Yeah. And then I went up to this conference up at Snowbird. Have you been to Snowbird before? I have not, no. Mm -mm. Sounds amazing. Have you, been to, <laughs> have you been to Taos? Yes. Okay, it looks looks just like Taos. Okay, cool. Amazing. Just jagged peaks beautiful mm -hmm. and we're in the cliff lodge and i met this woman to this day i don't know who she is but she was probably in her late 50s and she had long gray hair down her back 
and she emanated beauty and joy. Mm-hmm. And I asked her, I said, what do you do? <laughs> she says, oh, I own an oil and gas company. That's awesome. So you, so you own your own oil and gas company? Mm-hmm. I was just, she just fascinated me. And I, I looked at her in her career in geology and she said to me, stick with it, study geology, you'll never regret it. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that's how I want to look when I'm in my late 50s. Yeah. I want to feel at peace, at one with the world around me, financially successful. I, I want to be her. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really powerful for me for making my pivot into yeah. geology. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I wonder who this woman is. I want to meet her. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's awesome. So now you're shifting gears a little bit. So you are now at uh, Stratum Reservoir. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. I'm at Stratum Reservoir. I am an account manager and geoscientist over there. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting. It's very challenging. Mm-hmm. It, we have over 1,500 different product lines and services we, we offer in the world of the geosciences, mm-hmm. for, you know, ro- rocks, oil, gases, fluids, it, you know, just when you think you know a lot about something, you realize you don't. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's continuous learning, and I'm always impressed with the talent at Stratum with the amount of PhDs and scientists and passionate, passionate geologists that work for us to help operators solve all kinds of problems. Sure, that sounds good. And, and um, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just laughing about it, though, because I, I just landed from Houston last night and been in Houston a lot. And I was just reflecting on how how little university actually prepares you yeah. for your career. Isn't that the <laughs> truth? Oh, my gosh. That is a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> I know. I, you know, uh, I just figured as a geologist, I would be like Indiana Jones out there, <laughs> out there with my compass and, and uh, my vest, you know, with all my pockets and picking up rocks and making grand discoveries. I don't know. I, I really thought I'd be hiking yeah. career as a geologist in the mountains. Yeah. Anyone who's gone into mining, I, I think living that dream to some degree. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny if you don't realize when you're in your final field camp in your degree program that, that might be the last time you're, you're going to be in the Alps for a while. <laughs> I know. I know. It's it's crazy because I, I remember, like, when I finished my master's, I was like, oh, thank God I couldn't wait to work. And I was like, yeah, I, you know, I have everything I know. And then I started working and I was like, oh, my God, this is more intense than grad school. Like, whoa. And I didn't know anything. And, I mean, I knew things, of course, but, like, I had, it was like learning all over again. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. And here, you know, I'm living here in Midland, Texas. Uh huh. And I, it's, I, I was really unhappy at first when I, I thought about basing out of here because it's so far away from everything I yeah, grew up near. It is. It's, it's really isolated. But I got to tell you that the people out here are mm-hmm. the, the best. Really? It's, it's a, it's a beautiful conglomerate too from all over the world. Okay. If, if, if you're into oil and gas, if you're into this part of the energy sector, you're probably going to end up at Midland. Okay. Sometime in your career. Yep. <laughs> Especially onshore, huh? 
Absolutely. Well, that's funny you say that. I just accepted a position to be the chairperson for the Permian Basin SPE Reservoir Ooh. Study Group. Okay, cool. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah thank you. I'm, I'm just finishing putting the committee together, and we're going to have different study group topics um, throughout this year, then hopefully next year have a symposium. Yeah. But what's exciting about it is the Permian Basin can, can be replicated in a lot of different places around the world. Uh-huh. I mean, there's a very good reason Eco Patrol bought 51% of Oxy. Uh-huh. Right? They, they need to take our technology in our formations because they have a very similar play out in Colombia. They, mm-hmm. They're here to learn what we're doing. Sure. Same with uh, companies that are owned by Malaysian companies like Stronghold Resources or Surge. These... The, the whole world has their eye on the Permian Basin, yep. not necessarily to exploit American oil and gas. They're there to learn how to use their own energy resources mm-hmm. to develop their own countries. Mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful. It is. It's it's amazing. And, you know, I, I live in all, outside of El Paso right now, and I've never worked in the Permian Basin, but I've like I'm very familiar with the surface geology and tectonic evolution, and um, I have never heard anybody refer to Midland that way, and thank you for saying that. <laughs> I really well, appreciate that. Offshore Africa, right? We have some offshore offshore plays, too, mm. that are Permian-style reservoirs. Cool. Yeah, so it, it's really exciting. So I'm hoping with this reservoir study group, we can encourage other if SPE members from around the world to chime in join us for the study group Mm -hmm. and see what's hot see what we're doing out here in the in the permian basin that's that's making a difference what technologies what techniques are optimizing well production yeah you know and the more we i'm a you know here's one of my soapboxes one one second (laughs) set it it up here real fast yeah (laughs) (laughs) geologists belong in oil and gas companies yes every oil and gas company needs Lots of geologists. <laughs> and we are the stewards of the environment. We speak in behalf of the earth. We signed up for this because we are passionate yeah. about protecting it. And the more we optimize the technologies means less recompletions, yes. less water use, recycling. Uh, we, we actually can go in and get it right the first time. Yes. And your geologist will be the first one to mm-hmm. stand up and... and talk about practices that are not efficient that are causing harm and impacts to the to the areas they're drilling and developing mm-hmm. and um, I, I don't think you quote quote sold out if you went and worked for an oil and gas company no college. not at all if anything you belong there yeah you need to be there yeah absolutely I know I feel I've definitely throughout my career have felt like public perception of what we do is very um negative and it's not really the case at all. It has never been for me. Like, I'm not out there thinking, like, oh, how can I destroy the earth? You know, that's not that's not who I am. Inherently not who I am. So I think that's that's really powerful. And I, I do hope that through these podcasts and just any all the work that we're doing with our communities in general will hopefully reshape public perception of what we do. And we are actually, I think we're very valuable. And I think we, you know, we have the skills and the network and know everything to um, take sustainability and be stewards of the environment to the next level. So I think that's really great. Oh, you nailed it. You know, you know, it's funny. A lot of times you hear about 
will send like a police officers and firefighters into elementary schools, right? That way, because one of the problems as a firefighter that we had in my other previous life was if you're walking into a school, right, or that has a, a fire, you look scary. You look really scary in your big mask and your tank and your clothes and your big pose. <laughs> and it's it's only natural a child, especially when you're in the smoke and the dark, it, it's only natural children hide, right? They hide in the cabinets, they hide in places because the fire's scary, you're scary. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they've done to it around the country is they we encourage children to come visit the fire department firefighters will come in their clothes and they, they recognize for a young age that this is person is here to help yeah to help save them mm-hmm. and not to run from them but to grunt to them if it was an emergency or you know the, the cops are your friends the firefighters are your friends maybe we need to do more of that like the geologist is your friend yeah <laughs> no i absolutely agree with you and um So in the beginning of the podcast, I had introduced you as an aspiring uh, wildcatter. Would you say that that is your dream job or your dream goal going forward? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, So it's interesting, right? There's a lot of of ways to fry an egg. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) And at first, when I first got into this dream of mine, I, I had some pretty big ambitions and ideas i thought oh and by the way okay one more soapbox go for it set it up renewables aren't new yeah can i can i tell everybody that renewables <laughs> are, are not new we've been heating commercial buildings with geothermal since the i don't know 40s and 60s we've been yeah we, we've so solar panels been around forever We've been, I mean, we, we got dumps all over the place and all over the world with solar panels that are spent from decades and decades of use. Uh, wind, wind didn't show up yesterday. <laughs> I was going to research this and I forgot to, but wind farms have been around as long as I can, as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Like, this new emotional, political uh, movement into this Green New Deal and, and renewables is acting like it's it's the newest, latest, greatest thing that's about to take over the world. And I'm like, it's been here, you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always been here. But I am so grateful that it's getting more attention than it yeah. used to. So my my original idea for this oil company was, you know, do, 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 rewind, do, 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 like 20 years ago. Uh-huh. I thought, I'm going to have a revolutionary oil company. All my pump jacks are going to be solar powered and I'm going to have geothermal energy, you know, powering all my processing plants. And then I have an electric truck somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> driving I just had this really uh, great fantasy idea about how uh, if you're going to truly be oil and gas independent, you might as well get yourself as integrate all the different technologies to work together mm-hmm. and be as independent as possible. Um, you learn more about how it all works upsides, downsides, cost, and, and you see why that doesn't necessarily work. Yep. Um, but that that was my first concept. And then I got a little further into college and my MBA program. And I thought, oh, well, I'm going to raise capital. I'm going to raise a lot of capital. I'm going to raise $100 million. That should be a good start. I'm going to get this oil and gas company going. And not that that dream is gone or that isn't there, but... I think that the PE style uh, 
small independent company is a little bit of a, it, it works better on paper than it does in real life sometimes. And we, yeah. we saw a big surge of these PE back companies about five years ago and they traded a lot of deals and a lot of them were bankrupt. Yeah. It, it, it's not necessarily, it's not a great model. It's, it's spend a lot of money to make a lot of money model. Mm-hmm. And if we want to go back in time, I think both geologically and in business, sometimes we forget the tried and true lessons of our ancestors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we we're, we're so into modeling this and modeling that and, and, we, we forget that we've been doing geology for a long time and the original geologists didn't even have geology degrees and they were brilliant geologists yeah. who mapped and measured and, and scouted out all these beautiful formations as we began to settle um, North, North America and the world. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, there is some beauty to recycling and also starting little itty bitty. So right now, as I see my, dream morph into the wildcatter side i really look forward to getting stripper wells Mm -hmm. i have a i have a great love of history and a great love of those beautiful geriatric wells out there they're just (laughs) pumping along doing their thing yep (laughs) and they're so neglected and you know these are the ones with are problems right these are the ones that have bad casing that are leaking the fugitive emissions oil spills bad tank batteries these are the mess right Mm -hmm. and we're in such a hurry to to find everybody and plug all these wells and and just i don't know i want to go up there i I have a dream of just one by one collecting my little geriatric wells and massaging them back into production maybe getting a you know if if diamondback has a a well they don't want anymore because it's not economic for them at 50 barrels a day i can tell you 50 barrels a day would be very economic for me uh-huh. I, I would lead a great, I would lead a great life <laughs> a day for their multi-million dollar investment. Mm-hmm. Not economic to them, economic to me. So one of the things I'm excited to get into pretty quick out here in the Permian Basin is, is getting into the stripper well business. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us more about beyond... what that is exactly? Yeah, it's a lot of what I described. Okay. It's, it's where you go in and you take wells that for one operator are non-economic any longer, mm. right? Oh, okay. And then you fix them up a little bit. And... Yeah, yeah. You might put a new pump jack on it, a new motor, use some new uh, lubricants or chemicals down holes, loosen up the paraffins, or replace old parts. And when I say old parts, I'm talking about some of these wells are almost 100 years old. Oh, wow. I mean, there's old, old wells out there. Yeah. <laughs> they're still cranking along. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're, they're not, there's still plenty of resources and you just you just you just optimize them uh-huh. as, as much as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, from that you can, be, you know, begin. And from there, once that builds out, I hope to be able to drill a few careful wells. Right? I, I hate this where we just drill, drill, drill in a big line, and, and then we do engineered completions, and then we go back and we refrack it to get the rest of it out. And I, I feel like there's so much excess and wasted. Yeah in that in that effort mm-hmm. and we should be drilling a little bit more thoughtfully and carefully with consideration to the geology and under really understanding what we're drilling into as much as possible before absolutely. we go there and perfect it mm-hmm. absolutely cool well thank you so much for sharing that with us it's it's really fascinating I think that's one of my favorite parts about doing these podcasts is everyone's dream is so unique and amazing it's 
it's great to hear. <laughs> Do you have any advice for someone who's currently building their dream? Okay. All right. Next soapbox. That's my third one, right? Okay. Found <laughs> it. <laughs> give us one. Give us one set up. Stand up on it. I, I'm going to give complete opposite advice to probably anything you probably heard anybody say. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. That's, that's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't pivot. <laughs> Every, everybody says, oh, there's no jobs. Oh, energy is changing. Ugh, oil and gas is going away. Mm -hmm. Which what should I pivot into, Dawn? And I'm like, don't, <laughs> don't <laughs> pivot. And let, let, I got a really good reason for this. Uh huh. All through the '80s, we had that just terrible crash. Mm -hmm. a terrible crash. Yeah, we, a decade. Yep. Yeah, a decade of no jobs. And during that time people that were graduating with geology degrees and petroleum engineering degrees found no, no work. Mm -hmm. Enrollment discontinued in these mm -hmm. programs after yep. a series of years. And those that did maintain their positions at these different oil and gas companies were very protective of their positions. Yes. It held, held on, held mm -hmm. on to their trade secrets and their, and it took a long time for that, that to come back. Followed by what 2004, 2014, um, 2009. Uh, this this last year, we've had a lot of bad slumps that have discouraged people from from getting back into the industry. So we have a lot of issues right now, right? We've got a big generational gap mm -hmm. where there where there hasn't been knowledge transfer. Yep. So I turned 42 here in a little bit, mm -hmm. and what is interesting to me is, ready or not. In the next five years, anyone, I think right now from age like 36 to 45, mm -hmm. ready or not, we will become the most senior in the oil and gas business. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the energy, in the energy business. Mm -hmm. they're, by default, they're, they're, there's no one above us. Mm -hmm. So we have to be ready and be absorbing as much as we can yes uh, and bridging these knowledge gaps and trying to take in as much as we can from anyone who's nearing or considering retirement uh, it's people don't realize is just hang in there a little longer mm -hmm. and just a little bit longer you won't uh, you won't worry about if there's jobs <laughs> there's gonna be so many jobs and if you really need to pivot go go drill some geothermal wells for a while right yeah do, do, but keep up your skill sets mm -hmm. stay in the business yeah stay sharp stay stay sharp on the technologies absolutely yeah i think um, that's i i really like your perspective i think it's really valuable and i think like at the end of the day every person has to evaluate like what works best for them in their financial situation that they're in and then also their interests so if like you just love a certain thing you have to do what you love and you have to like honor what your heart is telling you to do because I I find that when people try doing something that they're not really into and have an invested interest in it's not like keeping true to who they are as a person um it creates all sorts of problems potentially could create all sorts of problems like emotionally um it's really hard to do something that you aren't so it you just it's like a lot of self-acceptance and being really honest with yourself like okay 
if this is what I want to do, then you have to follow it regardless of like what your parents are telling you, what your, you know, your advisor and your degree program is telling you, what society is telling you, etc. At least that's how for me I look at it. Like if there's a desire to pivot, then, you know, make, educate yourself. If there's a desire to, you know, find opportunity where there seemingly is none, then you have to, you have to do it. You have to seek it out and search for it. That's, that's for me, how I look at it. Absolutely. No, yeah, that's, that's another maybe small throw out there too, is, you know, don't ever get so stuck on a dream that it becomes your identity. Yeah. And that's one of the things I'll be, I'll be honest right now. Like I have to tell myself sometimes, I'm like, have you been dreaming about being a wildcatter for so long that you will do it at any expense? Like, will I not adapt to a changing energy world because I'm so stuck on this dream of having my own independent oil and gas company? Yeah. And just people, I, you know, I always have to laugh when I see the firefighters and the, you know, with their big firefighter tattoos. I'm like, you're, you're a person mm-hmm. who learned a skill set, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're not really a firefighter. You're, yeah, you're no, it's so true. Yeah. And, you know, the world is changing. Yeah. And the future of it may not have the career title, the job you've always dreamed of. I, you know, I'm sure a, very, a lot of very, very talented blacksmiths mm-hmm. who trained since infancy, who yeah. had got the business from their great-great-grandfather, uh, felt lost with their identity with yes. the advent of automobiles. Yes. <laughs> right? Seriously. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's interesting that listening to your different podcasts and these inspirational stories of how people have found their way or planned their way or designed their way into a, a geology-based or earth science career, I think that we're all, I think everyone's personal path to success is actually, is, is unconventional. And we all mm. feel a little bit misunderstood and alone. Yep, absolutely. And if I had to say anything... I want, you know, any, anybody who's out there thinking that they're forging ahead, that they're alone in this journey, especially women, uh, you're not. There are so many people supporting you, rooting for you, that believe in you, that are watching you, mm-hmm. and that are depending on you yeah. to fulfill your potential. Um, tomorrow isn't promised to anyone. Yeah. Working on the ambulance and firefighting really taught me that. Mm-hmm. I, no, no amount of money or success will promise you tomorrow. So accept the challenges that scare you do them scared and you know what? and fail failure it like success it isn't real it's a perspective mm-hmm. and just by saying yes and accepting challenges you'll gain skill sets by no other means mm-hmm. you know find your soul's purpose find what lights your fire your mm-hmm. passion stay learning and stay flexible for change you're not invaluable or essential because of your degree or the software you know or your patents you're innately invaluable and precious simply because of your existence and your ability to think, work, and love. And as you build your dreams, recognize that your skill sets are transferable, yeah. that you are smart enough. You could probably learn to do any job. Yeah. And the greatest impact and legacy you ever will leave will be with your family. Yeah. Your family and how you make other people feel. That's one thing I, when I'm, you know, you're always meeting new people and a lot of times I may not remember their name, but I'll remember their looks, their face. I'm a visual person, photographic memory, and um, and I remember how they made me feel. And that that's it. I'll be like, oh yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? That is the truth. You know, 
Well, well, I know I've taken a lot of time up, but here, there's a quick little last story that I, that's impacted my life a lot. Yeah, please share it with us the, before in, we go. In Salt, <laughs> <laughs> on the ambulance in Salt Lake City, I had a route, right? Like my, my section, my region that I cover. And it covered all the way up by the where, you know, professors and doctors and Utah jazz basketball players lived. And the strip went straight down and went right through the homeless shelter and then into some pretty rough areas. And I, so I picked up all demographics and took them to the emergency room. And every single person asked the exact same question right before they died. Really? Oh my gosh. Yeah. What was that? And then no one told, <laughs> no one confessed to me any dark secrets or <laughs> wanted to let me know about some corporation they had built or Every single person would hold my hand and say, who's going to be there for me at the hospital? Oh. And if all, all that matters at the end of your life is who loves you, mm -hmm. then why are we focusing on anything else Yeah. than that in, in the life before we die? And, uh, you know, you, you'd never see anyone's gravestone uh, report about their LinkedIn profile, right? <laughs> <laughs> But you, 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 you will see, you will see them express if they led a life of happiness. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Don, for sharing that. I really enjoy your perspective. It's very um, fresh. It's something that I don't think I've talked. You're very unique in that sense. And I, I really, really am grateful for everything that you have just shared with me. Thank you so much. <laughs> I was really nervous, Rochelle, and you made no. this a very comfortable, enjoyable experience. Good. No, I'm glad that is the goal. I'm, I love diverse opinions and hearing it all. And I, I really appreciate everything that you've shared with us. So thank you so much. And, um, please let us know when you embark on your wildcat journey, if that is what ends up happening, because I would love to bring you back and hear some stories about that part of your journey. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. And thank you everyone for tuning in for this uh, EGO's podcast. Hope you have a great weekend and take care. Bye-bye.